You're listening to the South Metro Ministries podcast. Check us out online at southmetroministries.com. Now, let's join in on worship and the word. Thank you. I'm going to uh, take you in a moment to the third chapter of the last book of the New Testament, which would be the book of Revelation. Perhaps you would want to turn there for our reading this morning. Revelations 3. Last July, a group of us from here at South Metro Ministries traveled to my homeland, the place of my birth, Trinidad, for the purpose of conducting a vacation Bible school for the Montrose New Testament Church of God, pastored by Pastor B.A. Hamid. Pastor Hammett has been there now for about 43 years as pastor. He succeeded my pastor, pardon me, my father, succeeded my father when he and our family came to the U.S. in 1968. So we did a ministry there last summer. On the way down, I sat on the airplane beside a woman who was traveling with a group from her church to a country in Central America to do a missionary project. So as we settled into our seats and we uh, began to fly, uh, I pulled out a book that I brought with me for reading, and I noticed that she had done the same thing. And so our conversation uh, went beyond just the, how are you today, and we talked about what we were reading, what she was reading and what I was reading. She was reading a book titled, she said, the title of it is Crazy Love. And the first thing I thought about it was, that's some kind of hippie book. Some of you know about the hippie movement in the 60s. You can go ahead and nod because we can tell by looking that you've, like me, have been around a while. (laughs) Crazy love. You know the hippie movement when they smoked marijuana and they didn't take baths or showers or shave and clean themselves and they sat by the campsite singing Kumbaya, my Lord, when they should have gone and gotten a job. That that hippie movement, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Crazy love. But then she explained to me that it's not nothing to do with hippie movement, or she didn't use those words. The subtitle of the book is, 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 carries this phrase, Overwhelmed by a Relentless God. The book to my discovery is written by Francis Chan as a pastor of the Cornerstone Church in Simi Valley, California. She told me more about the book, and I, I said I would like to read it sometime, and thought perhaps that on my uh, first opportunity or in the not-too-distant future I would secure a copy. By now in our travel, she and I discovered that we would be returning to Atlanta on the same day from our different destinations. We would even be on the same flight. So she said to me, if I'm finished reading the book by the time we intersect again on this uh, flight and at the airport, I'll give you this book. When I told her that she wouldn't have to, that I would try to get a copy, seeing that the only one that she had. And so she insisted that I, I should get it if she was finished with it. And she was. And on our return back and on the same flight, she presented me with this book that I hold in my hand, entitled Crazy Love by Pastor Francis Chan. I kept it in my possession for six months until this Wednesday I picked it up, not by accident, and began reading it. Because it's amazing how God's timing is about intersecting our lives with a aha moment. It's amazing how God has things on, on the uh, stewing and simmering and preparing in our lives that we don't think about immediately until later on. 
Because having come through the month of January and the emphasis being prayer and fasting, I, like you, did some, some uh, praying about me, my life, what God wants of me, the ministry I'm in, where do we go from here, soul-searching stuff. Chapter 4 of this book, Crazy Love, is entitled, Profile of the Lukewarm. It caused me to do some serious soul searching. Especially when a couple questions were asked that caused me to ponder about my commitment to Christ. First question being... Would you describe yourself as being totally in love with Jesus Christ? Here's another question. Or do the words half-hearted, lukewarm, and partially committed fit better? In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says, examine yourself. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Can I get an amen? It does say that. And so what Francis Chan does in this book is, in the next few pages of this particular chapter I mentioned, he he offers to the reader a description of what half-hearted, distracted, partially committed, lukewarm people can look like. He further encourages the reader to, to take a searching, honest look at your life. Not... Who you want to be one of these days, but who you are now and how you are living today. I want to tell you that lukewarmness is a dangerous condition that people can settle into that is strongly rebuked in the Word of God. Lukewarmness is also a dangerous condition that marriages can settle into over the years. That if not addressed, it can cause conflict, separation, or divorce. So now as you turn to Revelations 3, follow with me as I read beginning at verse number 14, please. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write... These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Pause for a moment. The Amen who is saying these things is the Lord Jesus Christ. The faithful and true witness is Jesus Christ. Can I get an Amen here? The beginning of the creation of God, because He was God and is God and was with God at creation. He's speaking here. And He says in verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. And white garments which you may be clothed, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Reading that and having God dealt with my heart like he has this week and even prior to this week, having God plow up my field and my my, uh, place of commitment to him, I was asked this question by the Holy Spirit and now I want to ask you the question, what is your temperature? While there's a lot of teaching to be done from this passage and much of it prophetic, for the remainder of our time together, I I want to focus on one word, the word lukewarm. To address this word, we need to have a definition, I'm sure. And so we ask, what is lukewarmness? According to the dictionary, it means lacking warmth of feeling or enthusiasm. To the Christian, however, it describes a state of indifference, complacency, apathy. Apathy is somebody saying, I don't know and I don't care. Perhaps it's because people become uh, uh, indifferent or complacent or apathetic because they may have come to a place where they're satisfied with themselves or, or maybe they are self sufficient. And so what I want to give to you from the Holy Spirit and from some of my reading and my soul searching, I want to give to you this morning a few examples of what lukewarmness is. And I want to ask the question, how do we measure up? Number one, lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It is expected of them what they believe good Christians do, so they go. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, Therefore the Lord said, and I want to, I want to give you some scripture references, I won't have the screen, but I want you to jot them down because I want you to let this be something that you meditate on beyond this morning. Isaiah 29, verse 13, the Lord says, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Isaiah says, as Jesus himself observed, speaking in Revelations, that there are those who claim to be Christians, who have only a relationship that draws near to Him with what they say, not what they do. They draw near with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus calls it lukewarmness. There are many people who can talk the talk and walk the walk, but they haven't darkened the door of a church for years. They go to funerals and they go to Mother's Day and they may go to Christmas. But they can argue the Bible with you and get mad at you. But they draw with their mouth and their hearts the exuberance of their knowledge of God. But their devotion is not there. 
And the Lord says, it's lukewarm. Lukewarm people give money to charity and the church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it's easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Therefore, if I don't feel so cheerful on Sunday morning, February 7, 2010, about giving, then I can be exempt from the offering because if I'm not cheerful about giving, God won't receive it. Try telling that to your mortgage company. Try telling the car company from which you bought your vehicle and finance that this month I don't feel so cheerful about sending in my mortgage or my car payment. And therefore, since you want me to be cheerful, I'm not paying it. And if you don't, repeatedly, we will see you in the jail ministry. Somebody said, God loves a cheerful giver, but he will take it from a grouch. I agree. There are people in the body of Christ that Jesus calls lukewarm who want somebody else to pay their way. It's that way in the real world. There are people in the body of Christ who tip God and expect a hundredfold. Now, if you think this makes you feel bad, understand that Jesus said lukewarm people make him nauseous. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to get us to the place where we quit playing church. On one occasion, David, prompted by Satan, that would be first. Chronicles chapter 21 for your later reading. David, prompted by Satan, was moved to take a census of the people of Israel. To count the people. God did not instruct him to do it because God was always taking care of him and his kingdom. Whenever invading armies came or there was any kind of attack, God would raise up the people and David would be a victorious king. But David got hung up in his might, his power, his army. And he wanted to know, how many able warriors do I have in case I need to go to battle again? And so he began to count the people and not trust God for the victory. And when he did, God sent the prophet Gad to judge and announce his judgment. And God began to judge the people of God for the sin of David, his lukewarmness. 70,000 people died. And David, seeing the plight of his sin on the people, began to call out to God. And the Bible says, in the city of Jerusalem, at the threshing floor of Oroni, or Onan, David saw the angel of God with the sword of the Lord judging the people because of his sin. And he said, God, God forbid that you would kill the innocent for my sin. Please, God, have mercy on me. And God said he would have mercy, but David would need to build an altar right where he saw the angel and sacrifice to God and repent to God and God would stay his hand. Ornan, the owner of the threshing floor, saw the king wanting to worship God and because he was the king, Ornan said to the king, I I, I will give you the threshing floor, I will give you the wheat, I will give you the bull, I will give you the uh, everything you need to offer a sacrifice to God won't cost you anything. And when David realized that I can't expect God to give me something for free when I have not done right by him, 
David said in First Chronicles 21 and 24, he said, no, I won't, I won't take this as a gift for you to offer a sacrifice, but I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. I, I'm not mad and I'm not upset. But so many times we blow in the church and we blow out of church and we expect the song to be just right and the preaching to be just right and everybody to look out for ourselves and we to get stirred and touched when we've brought nothing to God. How can we expect when we give our less to God and expect God to give us His best? In Luke chapter 21 verses 1 through 4, Jesus observed some people putting their offerings at the entrance of the temple. And Jesus looked and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow with two mites. Mega, very small amount of money. So Jesus said to those who were looking on, he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than them all. For all these out of the abundance have put in the offering for God. But she out of her poverty has put in all the livelihood that she has. Can somebody say amen? I'm saying to you what the Lord wants of us. Heaven is not going to be any wealthier because you gave your tithe and offerings. God's not going to be bankrupt because I failed to give my tithe and offering. Neither is the church going to suffer and die because I withheld obedience. But what happens is God is saying you ought to just simply love me so much because of what I've already done for you. You ought to be simply so crazily in love with me because... Because I am the blesser, you ought to want to do what I ask you to do. Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they're in conflict. They desire to fit in both the church and outside of church. They care more about what people think of their action or actions like church and attendance and giving than what God thinks of their hearts. And their lives. So in this age of political correctness, when the issue of abortion comes up, many politicians will choose what is politically correct and be a proponent of the killing of the unborn because it's popular when God says it's murder. There's forgiveness for those who didn't know that up until now and might have aborted. There's forgiveness. Can I get another amen? You see, you are in the kingdom. You're not in the political kingdom. You are in the kingdom of God if you're a Christian. When the issue of same-sex marriage comes up, we don't have to wonder, well, should I be Republican, Democrat, or Independent? No, we should be Christ-like, Christian. The word of God forbids a man being with a man in marriage or a woman being with a woman in marriage. And you are lukewarm if you choose political correctness instead of biblical accuracy. Governor Sanford of South Carolina told his aides and his Bodyguards and people who inquired about his absence for four days last year that he would be hiking the Appalachian Trail. Now, I know some about North America and South America's geography. 
I never knew that the Appalachian Trail went all the way down to the country of Argentina. <laughs> little tongue-in-cheek, but you know where I'm going, don't you? The reality of it is, is that he was four days away from his wife and family involved in adultery and betrayal and lying. Upon hearing the interview of his wife by Barbara Waters this past Friday night on 2020, she says that he has not yet apologized to her. Governor Sanford chooses what is right when in conflict that is politically correct. Somebody helping me here? Uh, what fits in to the cultures that he wants to impress. So what you have is, is a man who is caught, but he wants to keep his job. He wants to keep his pay. He wants to keep his affluence, and he also wants to keep his mistress. I tell you that I may not be the brightest bulb in the six-pack, but I'm not the dullest one either. He says to his wife, upon her discovery of his infidelity, that he would like to go to New York and rendezvous with this woman and spend two days Breaking the relationship. Exactly my response. <laughs> Jesus says, run from sin. Do like Joseph. Take off your coat and leave it in the hand of your seductress and run for your life. You see, this business about choosing to what's popular over what is right when we are in conflict, want to desire to fit in with the world and the church, care about what more people think about us. Jesus said in Luke 6 and 26, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Jesus said in Revelations 3 and 1, write the reference down. He says, I know what you're doing. Everyone may think you are alive, but you're dead. Uh, on the island of Trinidad, for Sunday lunch, we would kill a chicken on Saturday. That's why she's laughing. She's from Jamaica. We're in the same place. Yeah. We had a chicken coop in our backyard. And there wasn't no pet chicken, Pastor JC. Come Saturday, they better be prayed up and paid up. Mom and dad would, would boil water and put it in a, in, a, in a large metal pan. And we'd go find mother hen or father cluck. I don't know where he is. And we'd take the head off. And you know what the chicken would do? You let that chicken stand up and it'll run all over the yard. We, we ain't got no head, but blood everywhere. You know what the chicken was doing? Running around, don't even know it's dead yet. But it's going to fall over in a few seconds. Now, I don't mind you laughing at that, but I'm making a point. It is like the American church today. Christianity in the pews today. We got people who are looking holy, talking holy, acting holy. But they're like a chicken with his head cut off, running all over, don't even know they're already dead. 
Jesus said, you're not fooling anybody. In Matthew 23 and 5, Jesus talked about the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite of their day. Those people wanted pomp and circumstance and trumpets to blow and drums to beat whenever they were out in public. And and they had ways of demonstrating their religiosity so everybody would applaud them. And Jesus rebuked them. Here's what he said, reading from the contemporary English version. He said, everything they do is just a show off in front of others. They even make a big show of wearing scripture verses on their foreheads and their arms. And they wear big tassels for everybody to see. They love the best seats at banquets and the front seats in the meeting place. And when they're in the market, they love to have people greet them as their teachers. I believe that a man who earns a pastor's title should be called a pastor. A person who owns a doctorate should be called a doctor. I believe those who become a bishop in the denomination, I believe in titles. I believe they they give a certain amount of authority and power and blessing if somebody has earned them. But we don't just get titles because we want somebody to clap for us. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God's going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this new life Jesus offers is better than the old sinful one. John Edwards, senator from South Carolina. Is it North Carolina? South Senator, let's vote. That is not the point. Here's the point. The point is, running for president, he vehemently denied that he had a sexual relationship with one of his aides until he was caught running for the highest office in the land. And then he said, well, yes. Then it was discovered that she was pregnant. And she said that this child's father is the senator. He vehemently denied it. And according to the author of the book, a politician, Mr. Andrew Young, he says that John Edwards persuaded him to claim paternity of the child and paid him to do it. John Edwards denied it until recently the book was coming out and the truth was out there. And then he comes out and says, it is my child. I have fathered this child and I hope one day when she gets of age, she will forgive me. There you have a man who is not sorry for his sin. He is more pursuant of the highest office in the land. He's sorry that he may lose the opportunity for being president. He only apologizes when he's caught. He doesn't want the punishment. Somebody may be thinking, Pastor, why are you being so political? I beg your pardon. I'm not being political. I am being moral. These people aspire to be our leaders. Our senators, our president, our people of integrity, our, they, they want us to march according to their drum beats. And since they sin publicly, they ought to be exposed publicly. I, I am saying to you, somebody hear me and understand that Jesus said in John 10 and 10, write this down. The reference that is, the thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
Romans 6, 1 and 2 is is very mind-boggling. The Word says here, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Salvation is not a license to sin. Forgiveness is not a license to go back and get some more. Sure, we slip and we fall and we mess up. But God wants a relationship with us that is growing and nurturing and in such a way that He can be able to use us as His anointed vessel. Lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. They assume such action is for extreme Christians, not average ones. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all his followers. So we've got, we've got people in the church now in America and no doubt right here at South Metro Ministry who think that there are two kinds of Christianity, radical and ordinary. I admire Mr. Truett Cathy. Mr. Truth, Kathy's the founder of Chick-fil-A, the best chicken sandwich on the planet. And I'm a preacher, and I know chicken, and I know chicken sandwich, and I'm here to tell you it's the best chicken sandwich on the planet. Mr. Truett, Kathy is considered radical by some of his business peers because he elects to close the restaurants every Sunday. If you buy a franchise or you partner with Chick-fil-A, you will close the restaurants every Sunday, or you will not own a Chick-fil-A franchise. Am I right about that? And the radical business world out there that's about me, myself, and I realize that Mr. Truett, Kathy, may be passing up on the opportunity every Sunday when he closes to bring in thousands, tens of thousands, perhaps millions of dollars into his coffers if he just opened on Sunday. But here is one man who understands James 1 and 22. James 1 and 22 says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Mr. Truett, Kathy, understands. God gives me seven days of the week, six days I can make a living and have a business and take care of my family. But one day belongs to God. And whether my business partners give it or not, God gave me everything I have and he deserves my crazy, radical kind of love. Somebody ought to help me praise the Lord. James 4 and 17, write the reference down. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it's a sin. Jesus blesses obedience. In Matthew 21, verse 28, this is what the Lord says. He says, what do you think? A man has two sons. And he came to the first son and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. His son answered and said, I will go. But afterwards, pardon me, he said, I will not go. But afterwards, he regretted what he said and he went. Then the man came to his second son and said, likewise. And the second son answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? The first. Jesus says even sometimes delayed obedience is better than no obedience. Even sometimes when he calls you and I to... A deeper walk, a greater commitment. When he calls us out of lukewarmness, when he calls us to love him first. Jesus said, unless you, uh, unless you are willing to take up your cross... And follow me, you cannot be my disciples. But the world wants the rewards without the cross. 
And so they think it's radical love for you to come to church every Sunday. Or it's radical for you to give your tithe and offering. Or it's radical for you to serve in a ministry in the church. Or it's radical for you to volunteer as a missions person for one week out of the year. And take your own paycheck and pay your own way and go help somebody in Haiti or Africa or India. They think that's radical. But God says that's normal for those who are grateful for what Jesus has done for us already. Wow. I, uh, lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to have people make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. They say that during the Super Bowl game tonight, there will be a commercial that is sponsored by Focus on the Family. Regarding the preservation of life, anti-abortion. They say that Tim Tebow, uh, being a Christian young man and uh, former player with Florida, uh, supports that. And I don't know to what measure he's involved in it. But all the political correct garbage people say it's a Super Bowl. And uh, why should we... uh, Why should we have this kind of commercial? It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing how blind we get. Have all the commercials of beer you want to. Have all the commercials of sex you want to. Even have another Super Bowl where a singer exposes herself publicly during halftime. See, if this is making you nauseous, understand that Jesus said lukewarmness makes him nauseous. And I know I'm not preaching like a preacher who expects to celebrate 25 anniversary and just, just get, I know I'm not preaching politically correct. I know I'm not preaching as a preacher where a man just preceded me and say, give him an offering. Okay. I, I, but see, when I signed up to be the pastor and God called me to preach and I knew what I was and he called me anyhow, I knew my incapabilities and he called me when 25 years ago, he called me and there was about 40 people at the church. When we came, when I signed up, I signed up not with the government and not with the military. I didn't sign up with the college and I didn't sign up with the denomination. You understand? I love my denomination. I signed up that God, if you will give me the opportunity to be a shepherd and a pastor, I will preach the unsearchable truth of God's word. Whether I have five or five hundred or fifty, I am going to sign up to please God first and God alone. So I'm here this morning to tell you that it ain't about your comfort and it ain't about my comfort. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 32. Listen, everybody. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before him, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, on that day of judgment, many will say to him, didn't I go to church? And I'm paraphrasing. Didn't I tie? Didn't I sing in the choir? Didn't I feed the hungry? Didn't I clothe the naked? Didn't I do all these charitable things? And Jesus will say, sorry, I never knew you. Because he's not near as much interested in you doing things as you loving him with all of your heart and your mind and your soul and your body. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. 
Luke chapter 9, verse 57. This is purely the Word of God, okay? I don't know how you could have any issue with me if I just used the Word of God. I don't sense that you have an issue with me, but I, I know that this is plowing. Jesus, it happened that they were journeying on the road. And someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. Listen. Then he said to another person, follow me. But that person said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another person said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you. Let me go first and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said this to him. No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. Sounds like he doesn't like lukewarmness. It sounds like the people who spend all their time with things, pleasure, money, savings, CDs, mutual funds, cars, and houses fail to realize that while they have their place, our purpose is the kingdom of God. Please listen to me. Any of us could die at any time. I strongly recommend this book. There's a chapter of this book that says you might not finish this chapter. You could die before you finish reading this chapter. Is the first sentence. The writer says, I could die while you're reading it today. Any moment. But it's easy to think about today as just another day. An average day where you go about your life concerns with your to-do list, preoccupied by appointments, focused on family, thinking about your desires and needs. Listen. Please let, let me tell you. That if there is no preparation down here with our soul, with our devotion, with our commitment. Selling out to Jesus in, in what the author calls crazy love. There will be no heaven for you. Anybody who ever told you there's such a thing as lukewarm Christianity doesn't know what they're talking about. There's no such thing as lukewarm Christianity. It's an oxymoron. We section off our lives. Section off our time. And we justify in our own minds why we're better than somebody else. There are people sitting in these pews who ought to be singing in the choir, working in the nursery, working with the youth, being in security, working in recovery house, or also Joseph's storehouse, or feeding the hungry, or clothing the naked, or doing the work of the kingdom. But some of you sitting here this morning have justified that you've served the time, or you're going through something. You see, part of my problem in 25 years of pastoring is I've always, and many times I try to draw people to me. I wanted people to like me. Part of my problem in pastoring is I, I wanted the people to like me so much, I wanted to draw them to the church of God. I wanted them to love the church of God, love Pastor Allen. And while I still want people to love me and love the church of God, what I really want you to do and what I want to do starting today better than I've ever done is to love Jesus the most. Did anybody hear me? Tolerate me. 
Tolerate the church of God. Tolerate inferior Christians. But please love Jesus. He's your only hope. He's your only life. He's your only healer. He's your only savior. He is worthy of your love. Oh, help me, Jesus. Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without requiring too much. You know the guys playing the Super Bowl tonight will not get to play on the field in Miami because they did the bare minimum. Anybody hearing me? Those guys that will get the Super Bowl ring, do the losers get the ring too? Help me, I don't know. Yeah. They ain't praying, playing for no Doritos chips. Those guys, Peyton Manning for the Colts and Mr. What for the Saints? Don't you all act like Saints? You know their name. What? Yeah. They're going to be throwing the ball because they got us this far, not because they were good enough. Help me, Holy Ghost. I, I am, you please understand, I, I'm not upset, I'm just upset. Why do we tell God is good enough if I show up once every two months? Why do we tell God is good enough if I just tip you today? Well, why do we treat God like we do and then expect Him to give us signs and wonders and miracles and save our marriage and heal our bodies and get our kids out of jail and get somebody off of drugs and alcohol? Why, why do we treat God like that? God says, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in lukewarmness. I'm interested in red hot obedience. Good enough is not good enough for God. Jesus is not God's leftover blessing for me. Jesus is not God's, uh, uh, when he couldn't come up with anything better, he sent Jesus. Jesus is God's spotless son. God's best, heaven's choice. God gave us. Oh, shit, somebody ought to help me praise him. Don't worry, the game won't start to 20 to 7. You got to get your guacamole and your Doritos. And I'll do mine too, but right now it's God's house. The Holy Ghost is going into overtime. And he says, since I control all time, I'm going into overtime. Lukewarm people don't live by faith. Their lives are structured so they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have their savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have life figured out, mapped out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Their refrigerators are full, and for the most part, they're in good health. The truth is, their lives won't look much different if they suddenly stop believing God. Please hear the word of the Lord based on this conclusion. Luke twelve sixteen. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he taught within himself, saying, Thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops, I got so much crop, I ain't got enough silos. What should I do? He said, I will do this. I will pull down my old barns and my old silos and build greater and larger ones, and there I'll store all my goods and my crops. 
Then I'll sit back on, I'm paraphrasing here while I'm reading. I'll sit back and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, but God said to him, fool. This night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Please listen to me. It's radical, isn't it? And I preach, I don't know how many funerals I've preached and I've never seen a U-Haul hitched up to a hearse. You, ne- you never take any of it with you. You never. And matter of fact, you know what's worse? You don't even get to be around here to see them fuss over the stuff you you left. It's gonna go to people you never liked anyhow. And you spend so much time loving it, loving El Shuki instead of Jesus. So I have these remarks, and I'm going to close, and I'm gonna let the Holy Ghost do what He wants. Revelation chapter 3, our text. If you're not back there yet, go back now. And he says, this is what you do. Because lukewarmness is so repulsive. Return and repent. Please listen to this. Only one time the word spit is used in the New Testament. And it's here. Verse 16, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit, vomit you out of my mouth. This, this word spit in the Greek means gagging, hurling, vomit. Uh, many people read this passage and they, they think Jesus is speaking to save people. When you read this passage, do you naturally conclude that the word spit out of the mouth of Jesus means that you're part of the kingdom? I don't think so. When you read this passage, verse 17, and he says, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. He's not talking about you can be lukewarm and make it to heaven. Am I right or did I miss it here? And take your, take your, take your Bible and study after the service. Go study. Lukewarm Christianity makes people uncomfortable, but it makes Jesus sick. Lukewarm Christianity is popular with people, but it's repulsive to God. So, Alan, return and repent. Now, here's how you repent. The Lord kind of shows up at the door like a salesman, although he's not selling it. But because we understand the comparison, he says in verse number 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, etc. I'm offering everybody at South Metro Ministries 2010, February 7th, this Sunday morning. I'm offering you crazy love. My love. And I'm asking yours in return. But in order to get there, you need to buy for me gold tried in the fire. Let me make you like gold. Gold tried in the fire means that he wants us to have faith that is purified in the fires of testing. I am hurrying. He wants people who, if they have a little storm blowing in their life, they say, I'm going to church anyhow. I'm not going to backslide. 
He wants people who, who have more bills than the due paycheck at the end of the month. And even though they've already tithed, tithed and they don't know what they're going to do, he wants them to keep trusting in him and how when they say, I'm not going to backslide because I'm not trying to buy you. I'm trying to love you. He wants people even to get a spot is on the x-ray. They may have a biopsy or surgery. They understand, God, even if I have to go to surgery, you will not leave me alone. I'm loving you, I'm serving you, and I'm going back to your house. Faith tried in the fires of testing. See, this kind of preaching will cause some folks who won't receive it to blow out from here to blow to someplace else. Because they won't let it plow their field. He says, I want you, I want to give you white raiments. I don't, I want your love to be such that, that you're, you are a picture of true righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't make yourself white and clean by yourself, but the blood of Jesus Christ reapplied. And then finally, I want you to anoint your eyes with eye salve. Spiritually, it means it's the work of the Holy Spirit. I want God's Holy Spirit to cure you of blindness. I don't want you to please the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you intend to make heaven, you're not going to make it as a lukewarm believer. God says, I'm tired of the games. I'm tired of playing. I'm tired of playing church in America. What I want is hearts that are passionately in love with me. And when I find it to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. Sometimes as a preacher we use things to stimulate response and in some places they're good. We use different things because we want to get as many people as we can. Look at me everybody if you haven't looked at me yet. If you need to repent, meet me at the altar. you got one minute. No music. I don't need any music to help me. If you need to repent, I'm not asking if you're red, yellow, black, white, or brown. I'm not asking you if you're on staff or you're an elder. I'm not asking you if you're seasoned. If you hurry to this altar and you've got less than 45 seconds. Stand, everybody, please, all over this church. Hurry, and when you come, lift up your hands and begin repenting with me. Because I need to repent also. Hurry. you got less than 30 seconds. Quit looking at somebody else. Quit judging yourself. I'm talking God the Holy Ghost. God the Holy Ghost has already given you a sermon and he's given you about 20 seconds left. Hurry. 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 The door is going to be closed. But this is you and God. This is not your husband and God, your boyfriend and God, your mama and God. This is you right now. And God says one day the doors are going to be shut. But if you'll come, you've got less than 10 seconds. Lift up your hand all over this altar and in this church and begin to cry out to God. Come on, raise your voices. Repentant people pray like they're desperate. Come on, in the pews, if you need to come, I will just tell you, come on anyhow. But oh God, come on, come on all over this church. Oh God, I come to you this morning. Come on, let me hear you pray. Let me hear you pray. Father, I have been less than a lover of Jesus. I, oh God, have times have been more about me, myself, and I, and I repent. Come on, church. I repent, oh God, for when I should have spoke up about you, I chose what is comfortable instead of what is right. Come on, we need to repent. Oh God, I repent because when some things came in my house and some sin came to my family, I covered it over and made it look like it was all right for my family, but it's not all right for somebody else's family. Come on, I want you to repent this morning. 
Oh God, I have judged people. I've had attitudes. I've even disliked the church. I've even disliked Christians. I've even disliked the word at times when I should have been obedient. I repent. Come on, come on church. Let me hear you pray. God, I've been more, my prayers have been more about give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And when I didn't get it my way or my time, I got mad and I fussed and I asked you to forgive me. Come on church, come on. Lord, I've tried to bargain with you. I've tried to impress you. I've tried to impress other people. And I confess I've been lukewarm. Oh, God, would you bring revival to South Metro Ministries? Would you begin this Sunday morning, oh, God, by letting us not take offense at your word and offense at the Lord one another? Would you, would you help us today? Oh God, some people are trying to hide their adultery and they're trying to hide their fornication and they're trying to hide their pornography and they're trying to hide their lying and they're trying to hide their playing church and you already know and you cannot be fooled and we confess today that we need to be washed. Oh come on, come on, come on, lift those hands and pray to God. My God, I'm not here to ask you to give me groceries this week. I'm asking you to forgive me right now. I'm not asking you to fix my bald attire on my car. I'm asking you to help me right now. Oh God, some people in this service, they have boyfriends and girlfriends and things, oh God, that are completely wrong for them, but they chose them over you. And I ask today that they'll be willing to give up whatever it takes for Jesus. Come on, church. I can't hear, I can't hear the breaking and the, and, the, and, and the travail that I think that we're getting to if we'll keep it up. Help me cry out to God. Jesus, I, I can't, I'm not repenting for somebody else's church. I'm repenting for the one that you gave me. I'm not repenting for somebody else's pulpit. I'm repenting for mine. Oh God, in Jesus' name, let the blood of Jesus Christ wash me again. Some of us have chosen our children and their ambition over our church. Some of us, oh God, have chosen money over our God. Some of us have raised up the idols of sports and of a house and a car over God. Some of us, oh God, have chosen our comfort zone, even chosen the ailments of our bodies to justify our lack of fervor. Forgive us, oh God. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Please, I don't need anybody looking around. I don't need anybody wanting to be entertained. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, you ought to thank God you're feeling uncomfortable and ask God to turn on the fire. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Oh, God, I know we're going to eat a little later on, but I'd rather have the bread of life than the bread from this earth. Oh God, I know we got appointments and places to go, but I'd rather tarry a little bit longer in your presence so that I can guarantee my place in heaven and so that you can count on me. I love you, Jesus. Cleanse us. Cleanse us. I do believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us through the gift of tongues and interpretation. And so if you have that interpretation, you know it's God, then I'll let you speak it. Wait on Him with me. Wait on Him. Wait on Him. Come on. Lift your hands again. Lift your hands. 
Oh, breathe on us, Lord Jesus. This may seem radical, but oh God, it should not be radical. It should be ordinary. That we humble ourselves in the sight of God. This is different from altar services. But we got so used to the, the to, oh God, to the program until we think if we break the program, then, then somehow, oh God, we ain't doing it right. Oh God, plow our field. Stir up our hearts. There are young couples who need you here this morning. There are people who are begging you for a miracle, but they're not put themselves in the place for the miracle. We repent today, Lord. We repent, Jesus. Come on, come on, come on. Hallelujah to Jesus. I want you to pray a song with me. Pray a song. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Sing it again, Spirit. Spirit of the living God, Fall fresh on me. Sing, break me, break me, melt me, melt, mold me, mold me and fill me. Fill me, Spirit of the living God. Oh, fresh on. It's not about the music, it's about the words. Lift your hands again and sing, everybody. Speed, lift it up louder. This is a prayer. Living God, fall fresh on. Sing that line again, Spirit of. Spirit of the living God. Fall fresh on me, break me, break, melt me, melt me, mold me and fill me, Spirit of the living God, on me. Take look. Respond, respond. I, I don't have to tell you. I cannot do any better than the Holy Ghost. I dare not do any better than that. Come on. Say, Lord, I'm coming back. Tell him somehow, Lord, Lord, forgive me for judging myself based on somebody else. Forgive me, God, for thinking that you are talking to somebody else when you designed this day to intersect my life with a right now emergency phone call. 
I am coming back, God. I'm tired of wandering to the hog pen. I'm tired of living for the world and the flesh and the devil. I'm tired of eating the slop like the prodigal son. God, I thank you for putting a robe back on my shoulder and a crown on my head and a finger, a ring on my finger. And you brought me back to the Father's house. And God, if you just let me be a servant, I don't even have to be a son. Just take me back, God. Come on, give a Lord a praise here this morning. Oh, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, mama, 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 mama. I just don't know what God wants from everybody, but I know he wants today to do some major work on us. I know that he's going to start some stuff here this morning that's going to take a while to, to grow and produce fruit. But God's sowing some seeds here. Oh, Holy Ghost. I tell you that I, I want you to know that some of us are so churchy that we even sometimes feel uncomfortable when God the Holy Ghost does what he's doing right now. Some of us are so churchy and we're so 12 o'clock-ish and 1.30 and 12.30 and 1 o'clock. And we are more concerned about our belly than the battle. God, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us, God. Oh, come on, help me a little bit further. If you got to go, I will not condemn you or criticize you. I can only wait a few more moments in His presence. Oh God, oh God, some of us have blamed our spouse when it hadn't been our spouse, it's been us. Some of us have blamed the boss and it hadn't been the boss, it's been us. Some of us have blamed the church and it hadn't been the church, it's been us. Oh God, thank you for loving me enough to rebuke me and correct me and pour oil on me to heal me today. And I will not let this moment go unacknowledged. I will not let what you've done for me right now be forgotten by the time I get to my car. I love you, Jesus. And I'd rather love you more than anything else. Hallelujah. 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 Would you go in this covering and let him just carry the spirit with you? God bless you. Take time with him today. I love you. And I call you blessed. You're dismissed. Take.